This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. We would like to begin by acknowledging that we are recording this podcast on Aboriginal land and pay our respects to Elders, past and present, and extend that respect to any Indigenous people who may be listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Jessica Sullivan and I work in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. Today I will be speaking to Nicola Cannon, a solicitor in the government law team specialising in social security. She will be giving us an overview of the changes made to Centrelink payments and what those changes mean for our clients. Firstly, welcome Nicola. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jess. Before we even get into the changes that are coming, I might just recap that most people would be familiar with the fact that when COVID came along, Centrelink made a lot of changes to eligibility criteria for various payments and also um, started to pay people some supplements and, and other additional payments to what they would have otherwise been entitled to. So we've seen over the past 12 months a whole range of measures in place from Centrelink, some of them which were initially intended to be short term, but which we've seen extensions to over the course of the year. Unfortunately, what we're seeing now is that most of those things will finally come to an end. But there are one or two things, one or two measures that we'll talk about today that are still going. But most things ended on the 31st of March 2021. Let's maybe go through then one by one each of these different payments or measures and talk about what has happened and about what that means for people. So let's start with the coronavirus supplement, which um, ended on the 31st of March 2021. So what's the go with that one? Sure. So the COVID supplement um, is one of the bigger changes that happened. So that was for um, people who were on payments such as JobSeeker, Youth Allowance, Study, Parenting Payment and Special Benefit they were granted a, an additional supplement on top of their ordinary rate of payment. The supplement started out in April last year at a rate of $550 per fortnight on top of the usual payment the person was receiving, but then it's tapered down since then. So it came down to $250 a fortnight in September, and then from December it's been at a rate of $150 per fortnight, and now we know that the supplement has completely come to an end on the 31st of March this year. Now. What's a little bit interesting is at the same time that the the supplement is coming to an end, the government actually has also announced in February this year that it was going to increase the rate of job seeker payment on an ongoing basis from the 1st of April 2021. That increases the payment of $50 per fortnight. And so what this actually means for people who have been receiving the COVID supplement is that they're going to see from the 1st of April that their payment is going to go down by $100. So the $150 a fortnight supplement ends, but then they get the additional $50 a fortnight, which is the government's ongoing increase in the rate of job seeker payment. Does that um, increase apply to any other payments? Actually, that's a very good point, Jess. It does apply to a few other payments as well. So mainly what we call the working age payments. So that includes youth allowance, parenting payment, Disability support pension, but only for under 21 year olds. Um, Oz study, special benefit, and there are a few other allowances that it attaches to as well. It's something that people in the sector have been advocating for for a long time. So we are really pleased to see um, the government come to the table with an increase, but it is a little bit disappointing to see the level of increase that has been agreed because for most people, this is now actually going to mean they're going to feel a reduction in payments when that COVID supplement. Um, goes away rather than actually feeling an increase. 
So let's move on to the waiver of newly arrived residents waiting period. So what does that even mean? So <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful, the newly arrived residents waiting period. But what it basically means is that um, most people um, who come to Australia and hold permanent resident visas will eventually be eligible for Centrelink payments, but often they have to serve waiting periods of between 12 months and four years. And those waiting periods will depend on both the visa subclass that the person holds and also the type of payment that they're applying for. And those waiting periods normally start on either the later of the date the person arrives in Australia or the date they become a permanent resident. So there are certainly people who, you know, can spend a few years in Australia on temporary residence visas where they're not entitled to Centrelink and they become a permanent resident and then they still have to serve somewhere between 12 months and four years before they can start to get payments. There are some exceptions to those general newly arrived residents waiting periods. So one common one is that um, people on refugee visas don't have to serve any waiting periods. But one of the really big changes that we saw during COVID was that Centrelink actually waived the newly arrived residents waiting period from March last year until the end of March this year, which meant that people who were at the time serving a newly arrived residents waiting period could actually apply for and receive certain Centrelink payments during that time. Um, and that included job seeker, parenting payment, odd study, youth allowance, special benefit and farm household allowance. One thing that was really great about that change is that it didn't add to the length of people's overall waiting period. So any time that a person spent getting payments during that newly arrived residence waiting period waiver period, still counted as though time they were serving towards their overall waiting period. So they haven't in effect lost time by getting payments during that period. So if I had a four year waiting period, as someone who is a newly arrived resident waiting to be able to go on to Centrelink, I'm in that waiting period and over COVID I've been able to get the payment but now that that payment has come to an end I'm back in my waiting period but I'm at the same point that I would have been beforehand so I haven't exactly. lost any of that time. You haven't right. lost the time yeah so if it's a four-year waiting period and say your waiting period started you know almost immediately before COVID hit um, then say you spent 12 months on payment you'll still just have three years left of your waiting period to go. Great. What we know about Centrelink's processes is that Centrelink have sent letters to anyone who's in this situation to warn them that they were only on those payments because of the waiver to the newly arrived residents waiting period and that their payment would actually be cancelled from the 1st of April 2021 unless there there is some specific exemption that applies to them. And one message that I just wanted to really get out there um, for this particular cohort of people, Jess, is that there might be still some scenarios um, where people who are serving a newly arrived residence waiting period can still actually be eligible for some form of ongoing Centrelink payment. The payment they could potentially be eligible for is a payment called special benefit. Um, special benefit's a funny payment where um, it is actually still subject to a newly arrived residence waiting period. However, there is an exception to that newly arrived residence waiting period if the person can show that they are in financial hardship and that they've experienced a substantial change in circumstances beyond their control since they arrived in Australia and there's no other eligible 
um, you know, in, there's no other income support payment that they would be eligible for. Um, so we're really encouraging people whose payments are being cancelled to test their eligibility for special benefit and see if it's something that might um, be available to them based on their own individual circumstances. So when you say change of circumstances, um, what sorts of changes are we looking at? So I might just give some examples of common things that we see at Legal Aid. I think the key thing for people to remember here is that the change of circumstances itself is not enough and it has to be something that the person can show is beyond their control and also something that's happened since they arrived in Australia. So that makes it a little bit more tricky. But a common one that um, that we regularly give advice on at Legal Aid is where a person whose relationship with their sponsoring partner ends as a result of family or domestic violence. Um, so that is taken by Centrelink to be a substantial change of circumstances beyond the person's control. Generally, if they can give some evidence about that, such as an apprehended domestic violence order or something like that, a letter from a psychologist. Um, and one thing that's really important about that particular exception is that this can also include people who are holding temporary partner visas who would normally be completely excluded from any Centrelink payments. So certainly anyone in that situation we would encourage to test their eligibility for special benefit. But some other scenarios include where a person um, is at risk of becoming homeless or, or who is homeless or a person who's lost their job through no fault of their own. So this is something you might see a bit with people having lost their job due to COVID, but there's some extra criteria there. So it has to be, you know, for a person who's come overseas, the job has to have been either organised before they arrived in Australia or they had the job before the, the grant of their permanent residence visa. In those scenarios, if they've lost their job, it might be possible to be granted special benefit and the, and the last one that we see sometimes is if the person's sponsoring partner or the person themselves ha has suffered a serious illness which means they're no longer in a position to support themselves in the way they expected to be able to um, then that might be a scenario that would count. Okay so even myself listening here now I mean it's all very confusing there's a lot of different criteria there's a lot of different changes if someone is sitting here listening now and thinking I would love to encourage some of my clients to you know test their eligibility for the special benefit what process do they go through so the process is essentially make an application for special benefit with Centrelink so they might assist the person to do that online using MyGov if they can or to go into a Centrelink office and ask for an application form and it's I guess it's one of those cases of you know what's the worst that can happen the person might as well test their eligibility and get a decision about it. Really important I think for um, community workers that are supporting people to apply to try and help them gather some supporting evidence that's actually going to demonstrate the change in circumstances and to attach that, you know, send that in with the form or even if you get it in shortly after the form goes in. And then if people are then seeing their clients being knocked back and they're not very sure um, whether the reasons are correct or the reasons don't feel right and it's something they want to get some more advice for their clients about, then that's certainly something that someone could come to legal aid and get some advice about. It's a, it's a really tricky, complex area, unfortunately, so sometimes it's worth getting advice. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. Just on the subject of waiting periods, there were some other changes to the waiting periods that we should just cover off very briefly. One is that there's the seasonal work preclusion period for seasonal workers. 
That waiver has also come to an end on the 31st of March. There was also this thing called the ordinary waiting period, which is like a one week waiting period that applies to some of the working age payments, uh, which got waived during COVID. And that is one of the few things that has actually been extended. So that is currently extended to the 30th of June, 2021. Unfortunately, it's one of the smaller measures in the overall package of measures, but still good to see something like that being extended. The other thing that's probably just worth mentioning, Jess, is there were lots of changes that happened to assets and income tests for payments like JobSeeker, basically to allow more people to be eligible to access um, payments during the coronavirus crisis. And those things unfortunately have come to an end as well. One of them was that there was no assets test that people were being assessed against for working age payments, but Unfortunately, that's something that was reintroduced already on the 25th of September last year. So um, anyone that was affected by the reintroduction of the assets test would have already seen the impact of that and and potentially had their payment cancelled. But the the other um, changes that have come to an end on the 31st of March is that there was changes to income limits and partner income limits. So partner income free limit actually went up quite high so that people weren't necessarily ineligible for Centrelink payments just because their partner was earning a reasonable income. But unfortunately, that income free limit is now going to go back down to $1,124 a fortnight. That's, for example, if a, a person's partner is over 22 years old, that means that any amounts that a person's partner earns over $1,124 is going to reduce their Centrelink payments down and the reduction is quite high. The payments go down by 60 cents in the dollar. Similarly, for the person's own income, if they're earning income at the same time as receiving something like JobSeeker payment, the income free threshold for the person's own income has changed as well. So during COVID, we saw that sitting at $300 a fortnight. So a person could earn up to $300 a fortnight and it had zero impact on their payment. And then over those amounts, the payment would go down. Unfortunately, that limit has now returned to its pre-COVID rate of $150 per fortnight. So what that means is any amounts that a person earns over $150 a fortnight is also going to reduce their own payments by 60 cents in the dollar. So I think what we'll see there, Jess, unfortunately, is that some people who were receiving payments are going to find that they're no longer el- no longer eligible, either because of their own income or their partner's income. Um, and we're also going to see people whose, whose rates are going to be reduced, I think, because of the changes to those income limits. Well, thank you for that overview. I think that'll be probably pretty helpful for a lot of people. Okay, so there's a few other things that I've got here on our um, list of things that we wanted to share with everybody. And these aren't directly related to payments. That's my understanding. They're just other changes that happened around the time of COVID. Do you want to just talk us through? The first one is mutual obligation requirements. Yeah, so um, mutual obligation requirements is for people who are getting payments like JobSeeker, they normally have obligations to attend a job active provider or a disability employment service provider, or if it's someone on parenting payments, sometimes they've got obligations to attend Parents Next. Um, And we saw a lot of those appointments that used to be in person go to telephone during 
COVID, um, but we've started to see in the last few months the reintroduction the, or the return of um, in-person and face-to-face -face appointments for mutual obligation requirements. And that's something quite important because if people don't meet their mutual obligation requirements and sort of comply with uh, the obligations that have been set by their provider, then Centrelink can suspend their payment and until they kind of re-engage with that process. And if there are continued failures, then it can lead to financial penalties and even suspensions of payments for multiple weeks at a time. So, right. so if there are people who have been able to attend online or um, virtually in some way over COVID, when are they expected to be going back in person as of right now? In most cases, yes. But Services Australia is also saying that this stuff is, is still subject to I guess, state-based advice about what's COVID happening with COVID. So, yeah. yeah, so we are seeing, you know, unfortunately COVID numbers increasing in particular states and so that it is going to continue to be subject to advice about what's happening with COVID. But I think for people who are being required by their providers to go back in in person who are really struggling to meet those requirements, one thing we just wanted to flag is that it is possible in some scenarios to actually get a temporary exemption from attending in person. Um, and the sorts of things that, that might count for that is if there are COVID-related reasons, like if the person is required to self-isolate, but also other more general reasons, like if the person's experiencing illness, they've been a domestic a victim of domestic violence or, or some sort of family crisis is happening. So just important for people to keep that in mind as well and better to try and get the exemption than to just not attend and then find that your payment gets suspended as a result. Yep, great. And the other thing we wanted to mention was about repaying Centrelink debts and debt recovery. What's the update about debt recovery? So unfortunately, Jess, this is another thing where we're going to see, I guess, the end to these measures having quite a significant impact on people financially because what we saw during COVID is that Centrelink did actually temporarily suspend a lot of their debt raising and recovery action um, and put a lot of people's debts on hold um, in acknowledgement of the fact that it wasn't very easy for people to continue repaying their Centrelink debts during COVID. Um, however, debt recovery officially recommenced with Centrelink on the 1st of February this year. So I think most people who have had debts on hold would have now been contacted by Centrelink with Centrelink encouraging them to put a new payment arrangement in place. And the main message we just want to get out to people there is it is always an option to renegotiate payment arrangements with Centrelink and to, you know, particularly for persons experiencing financial hardship and to really try and um, speak with Centrelink about putting a payment arrangement in place that is manageable. There's a special debt recovery line that people can contact at Centrelink, which is 1-800-076-072. If community workers are wanting to help their clients do that, I think as long as you've got your client there with you when um, you call, that might be something that you can get on the phone with them and, and help them to do with Centrelink. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I mean, as always with any uh, Centrelink kind of based podcast that we do on this channel, um, if you don't agree with decisions made by Centrelink, you do have the right to appeal and you can do this if your claim is rejected. So there is a um, internal uh, process there, Nicola. Do you want to talk us through what that is? Yeah, so um, if anyone gets a decision 
from Centrelink that they're not happy with, the first step is to appeal that decision to what's called a Centrelink authorised review officer. That is basically a different officer within Centrelink than the one who made the original decision and they will review that decision and any additional information you give them and, and come to their own view about whether or not that original decision was correct um, and you get a written outcome of any appeals that you do like that. There are some timeframes that are worth mentioning so for anything other than a Centrelink debt it's really important to to do that appeal within 13 weeks of the date that Centrelink makes the decision. So that can be 13 weeks of the date that Centrelink cancels your payment or that Centrelink rejects your claim for a payment, anything that's an actual Centrelink decision, do it within 13 weeks. And the reason 13 weeks is important is because if you appeal within 13 weeks and your appeal is successful, then you will be back paid back to the date that you um, that the decision was made. Whereas if you appeal outside of that 13 weeks and you're successful, then your appeal can only be back paid back to the date that you actually sought that review. So there's a financial imperative there to try and get the appeals in within the timeframe. Um, Centrelink debts is a slightly different beast, so people can actually appeal Centrelink debts at any time. With Centrelink debts, we do often recommend that it's a good idea for people to get some legal advice before they appeal a debt. The reason for that is that depending on the, the actual scenario at play, um, sometimes it is possible that Centrelink debts can actually go up on appeal and there are certain scenarios where um, a Centrelink debt might also lead Centrelink to consider prosecuting a person and so for those reasons we like to sort of talk to the person first about what the scenario is with their debt and assess whether there are actually any risks in them popping in that appeal. Well thank you so much Nicola. Was there anything that you wanted to leave our listeners with? Maybe in closing there are two other things that I might just mention Jess. One is that because really what we're talking about here is significant changes to people's financial position um, that might result from these very significant Centrelink changes. I just wanted to flag a couple of other um, things people have available to them if they are experiencing financial hardship. Um, one thing that people might not know about is that it is possible in some cases to ask Centrelink for an advance of your payment if you're experiencing, you know, a particularly sticky time. Depending on the payment type, there are different rules about how much a person can get and how often they might be able to get an advance. So I think it's better if you're, you're in that situation, I think it's better just to give Centrelink a call um, and ask them what's possible or even it is possible to apply for advances online um, via the MyGov app. The only thing to note about that is that they do have to rep be repaid. So what happens is that advance then gets repaid out of the person's next 13 Centrelink payments. So they get the money up front but then there'll be um, deductions from their payments that come afterwards to repay the advance. And the other thing I thought I would just mention is that this could be a really good time for some people to think about speaking with a financial counsellor, you know, particularly if they've lost work through COVID but have sort of managed to to get themselves through this period by government initiatives like Job Seeker and Job Keeper. But now that we know that all of those initiatives are coming to an end, it is potentially going to be a really tricky time for people financially. And I think speaking to a financial counsellor is always a good idea in that scenario. If people don't know who where to find their local financial counsellor, there's 
there's a website they can go to called FCAN and you just pop in your postcode and it actually tells you about the financial counselling services available in the area. So um, maybe that's something that we could also pop a link to um, in the materials for this podcast, Jess. Definitely. I will, um, I'll put that and all of the other links that Nicola has provided and um, things that she's mentioned throughout this podcast, they'll all be in the episode notes below. But I think that probably wraps us up. Thank you so much um, for your time, Nicola. Thanks, Jess. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode and found it useful, please share it with your organisation, your colleagues and communities. If you would like to access any of the information spoken about in the episode, please see the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thanks from all of us here at the CLE branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.